With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. It's hard to believe, Steve, but we are uh, we're winding down. This, this may be the last little bit of uh, football we can get out of your 2017 college football preview. It has been a cornucopia as far as podcast production is concerned. Hopefully the listening audience also has enjoyed it. I'm sure that they have. But uh, we're down to conference predictions and bowl game predictions now. Where where did the time go? Yeah, we say this every year. You know, we wonder, you know, how are we going to get through another off season? And what I'm finding as I get older is it's much easier because it's, the years are going by a lot faster. So the off seasons don't tend to don't seem to last as long as they did when we were younger, brother. No, they don't. I, I just think we have more stuff going on in our lives, so it gives the impression of uh, time flying, or maybe it does. I don't know. Whatever, you're right. But there's also this bit of um, uh, we're entering into the pyrite segment of the off season, the fool's gold, where you think it's almost here. I mean. Monday, we record this on Sunday, the, I don't even know, 23rd of July. So Monday the 24th, the Big Ten annual kickoff event takes place on Monday and Tuesday, I believe. And and you think, oh, man, we've made it. And Iowa Football Media Day is August 5th, the Saturday. So the uh, it's basically 13 days from the day we record this. Oh, man, it's media day. Football is right around the corner. No, no. To me, May was always a challenge. June, you had the magazines. July, you have Steve Dace carrying carrying the mail. It's all it was always <laughs> it was always August because you know you went over to Media Day. Yeah, you have these little you know sound bites from all the players, but they really don't know anything. They've only been practicing for a couple of days, and in most years. The, the freshmen hadn't even come yet, and Kirk would conveniently schedule their mouthpiece fittings for the media day session so that freshmen weren't available. Well, now they're just not available, uh, by and large, mo- you know, any, any time during the season, except maybe sometimes on media day. So it was always that month of August that you thought you were home free, but you really weren't, and that's when you like, okay, now what do I talk about? We've talked about literally everything there is to talk about specific to the teams that we want to cover. I never liked August all that much. You know, I think it actually goes by pretty fast. I felt like you did when I did talk when I did sports talk radio. You know, um, that's what I'm talking about from a daily yeah. sports talk perspective. Yeah, I mean, because there's there's really not much left to, from a preview perspective to break down now you've done all of that and um you don't get a lot of information well i mean i used to call it fort kinnick you didn't get a lot of information out of iowa i could always get a lot of information out of iowa state you know but you're right this was you know a sneaky difficult time when you were doing daily sports talk radio but i'm not anymore so it's not it's not, indeed. Uh, let's begin with the um, conference predictions. Now, last week, 
we did your you know win range, your two win range for for the teams. That doesn't necessarily give away what we're going to talk about with conference predictions. So um, away we go. Let's go to the uh, ACC. We're going to do all the Power Five conferences. We'll finish with the Big Ten, and then we'll talk about bowl games. ACC Coastal, ACC Atlantic, and you have Miami of Florida um, winning the the Coastal Division, tying with Virginia Tech, but making it to the uh, championship game to play against Florida State. And you have Florida State beating the Hurricanes. It's not. A, I, I don't. I don't know that that's going to be a an out there pick for really anybody. I mean, it, both Miami and Virginia Tech, if they had their quarterbacks returning from last year, that Coastal Division could have been maybe even mm-hmm. more interesting and that championship game more interesting. But I agree with you. I think Florida State is by far the best team, and you've got Clemson and Louisville at six and two over in the in the Atlantic, and NC State five and three. So you definitely have a uh, much more challenging Atlantic than you do a Coastal. Well, I think that's a good uh, good point by you to to put what it does to this division for both Brad Kaya and Gerard Evans to have gone pro. We we've discussed that those those two things individually several times throughout the off season. But you know, it's it, but you know, we have these divisions in these power conferences that what are considered now the three conferences that have sort of separated themselves from the other from the other two in the SEC, ACC, and Big Ten. And they all have something in common, those three do, which is one division is considered to be dramatically superior to the other. But if you would have just had those two guys come back, um, I don't know that that would be the case this year. Because uh, I agree with you. If both had come, either one of them had come back, I think those two teams go from fringe top 25 teams to top 10 to 12 teams. Um, and if you had them both back, then then you're talking about a conference where you might have – I don't know, five or six top 15 teams, which is very similar to what we saw last year when last year was sort of a renaissance uh, for eight or maybe even a halcyon for, for ACC football. So I, I think that makes that division very unpredictable again. I'll go with Miami because I think they have the best defensive front seven in that division. But if you look at the records as I've broken them down, I, I essentially have everybody in that division or most in that division going five and three, four and four. So we're really just talking about a tiebreaker here or a tiebreaker there. I think that Florida State, talent-wise, and with the experience coming back, is, is a cut above everybody else in this league. And I think that's reflected in the amount of parity that you see in the way I project a lot of their records. Now, as you say that, with regards to Florida State and their talent, something that jumps right out at me is you only have one Florida State Offensive player on your first team All ACC, and that's an offensive line, uh, Alec Eberly. And then you have mm-hmm. um, two on defense uh, and a pair of defensive backs. So I, I would have expected this big talent cap to this big talent gap to yield more uh, All ACC players in your list, but I don't see that. Another excellent observation you made, John. You're under your keep tonight so far. Keep it up, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is a good point. And I, you know, if we, if we, if I did a second team All ACC team, you would that you would that would look like, you know, Florida State starting lineup. But this goes to the overall depth of this conference. That I think when you look at who I have on my All ACC team, it is pretty spread out. Yeah. Amongst yeah. a lot of different teams. Uh, in this conference, I think because overall this is the deepest 
and best this league has been probably in our lifetimes. And you know, this, we had this conversation last week about why it was the best conference in college football last year. And, you know, you've got a couple of teams with big questions at quarterback. We mentioned Miami and Virginia Tech, but Clemson does as well. And other than that, though, you know where this league is really strong is up front. I mean, you know, I think the defensive line talent in this league, and, you know, this is something you and I have talked about for years, going back to, you know, when I did my own show on KXNO, and now everybody's talking about how defensive line is the position that separates the men from the boys in college football. I mean, I was talking about that 15 years ago in, on Des Moines Sports Talk Radio. Well, you look at the ACC, and if you take Alabama out of the SEC, I mean, the ACC's defensive talent up front is probably as good as any conference in America. I just kind of think Alabama is its own league with the way it recruits. You know, sure. I mean, when you look at how many players Alabama has lost to the NFL and the preseason all-SEC team, they got 10 guys on it, that's just disgusting. Okay, I mean, and so Alabama is in a tier by itself. I think top to bottom, the defensive front talent in that conference is as good as you will find in college football um, in any league except for Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Let's move on then to the uh, Big 12. You have Oklahoma State uh, going 7-2 and two in conference play, and you have Texas and Oklahoma also 7-2 and two with Kansas State 6-3. and three. Iowa State you have uh, finishing at 2-7 and seven in league, 5-7 and seven overall. Um, and I believe you have Oklahoma against uh, Texas in the – do you have Oklahoma-Texas in the uh, championship game? Oklahoma State. I'm sorry, Texas. Oklahoma State rather. And Oklahoma State winning that game. So you have Oklahoma State at 10-2, and two, Texas at 10-3, and 11-2 uh, for Oklahoma State, 10-3 and three for Texas. So your uh, Tom Herman factor will live to fight another day, which I'm sure you'll recount here in a second. That is That would be one heck of a turnaround for Texas. It would, but it would be in line with, as I've said a million times, so I don't need to say it anymore. It's in line with what you have seen the first year that he has taken over. And I think he's taking over, by the way, a team with a lot of talent that is ready to win. I love the way their schedule sets up. I love, I love where they get USC. They, got, they get USC in a big non-conference game the week after USC has to play Stanford. And, you know, there used to be this stat of, of how, te- you know, there's a couple of teams that, and I, I can't remember what the updated number is, but there's a crazy trend out there on teams that don't cover the spread the week after they play Alabama and Stanford because of how physical those teams are in their style of play. And, you know, USC, that's their next opponent after playing Stanford is Texas. And, that's a game where Texas can put all of their energy and focus into that game, and USC is going to be coming off of one of its biggest conference games of the year, maybe its biggest conference game of the year the week before. So I like where the schedule sets up there for them. I think Oklahoma, even though I don't think they will be a contender without Bob Stoops, I think that will be a big factor. I think the amount of guys they have on this year's team that got embarrassed by Ohio State last year, I think they'll play very good in that game. I don't think they'll win it. But I don't think it'll be the blowout it was last year. I, I just think you got a proud program with a tradition and a legacy like that that got embarrassed in their own crib in prime time a year ago. 
I, I think you'll see them um, absolutely play their asses off that night uh, in Columbus and, and put on a good showing and, and at least give Ohio State a game in the fourth quarter. You look at where Oklahoma State's non-conference schedule, they've got really one tough game, but it's at Pittsburgh, and I don't think Pittsburgh will be as good as they were last year. You know, Kansas State, other than the recent home-and-home with Stanford, doesn't traditionally play anybody in the non-conference. How about the fact Baylor hasn't played a ranked non-conference foe since 1998? We're going back almost 20 years now. Okay, so I I like the way a lot of the schedules, uh, you know, set up for the teams in this league. And I think this is going to be a bit of a bounce-back season for the Big 12. I think that they will um, overperform their the per, the national perspective on their conference this year. You have four Oklahoma State players on your All Big Twelve offensive first team, and I like the stacking here: quarterback Mason Rudolph, running back Justice Hill, wide receiver James Washington, and oh by the way, offensive tackle Zach Crabtree. So you're talking about a first team All Conference performer at really every level of the offense. It's really it's eerily it's really eerie how much this looks like the 2011 team. I mean it really does. Where you had a thousand yard rusher there, you had a black minute receiver, Brandon Weeden at quarterback. It, it's really scary. And you know, four starters returning on the offensive line. Well I mean that's a, that's exactly what they have this year. I mean you have Mason Rudolph last year 28 touchdowns to, <clears throat> pardon me, to nine interceptions. That's an outstanding ratio. Uh, James Washington is by far the best returning receiver in college football, but this is a unit that probably goes six or seven deep with guys that would start for most programs in the country. Four offensive linemen returning, and the player that really took their offense to the next level last year was the emergence of Justice Hill at tailback to give them that running game as well. So. This, this looks a lot like the team they had in 2011. And, of course, people remember that team was one overtime in Ames, Iowa, on a Friday night away from playing Notre Dame, uh, or no, 2011, from playing LSU for the national championship. That's the only reason we got that Alabama-LSU rematch is because Iowa State pulled that upset on number 2 Oklahoma State on a Friday night Otherwise, you would have seen LSU and Oklahoma State for the national title that year. Indeed, you would have. Iowa State, by the way, you have Alan Lazard uh, as a first-teamer, which is a no-brainer. Jake Campos at offensive line. be interesting to see if that comes about. And then over on defense, uh, Kamari Cotton-Moya at defensive back. Um, let's move on then to the – I'm going to roll down here to the Pac-12. All right, Pac-12, North Division, Washington, you have winning the regular season division there at 7-2, and two, followed by Stanford at 6-3, and three, and then uh, Wazoo at 5-4 and four in the south. You have USC at the same 7-2. and two. And then in second place, a tie between two teams, Utah and Arizona at 5-4. and four. So not a whole lot of uh, – Utah and UCLA, you mean? I'm sorry, yeah. Utah and you. Um, I'm sorry, I can't read. I see Utah and Arizona State and at, at five and four. And Arizona State, and yes. UCLA is uh, four and five. So yes. not a lot of love down in the South. And you have Washington over USC for the championship. Well, I talked about this a few weeks ago. I, I just like the way this sets up for the Huskies with what they have coming back. They have an all-conference all to, to all-America caliber player 
at literally returning literally at every position group but one. The secondary, which was their best unit last year, they sent several guys to the NFL, but they have a lot of good, experienced playmakers, not just guys. You know, we've, we've, we've been talking a lot this offseason that the returning starter number is not what it used to be. Uh, too many sub packages are run by teams. You really got to look at snaps played to get a better idea of who's got what coming back. Not to mention you have a lot of starters coming back, but the guys who were really your stalwart players don't return. I think of a team like Wisconsin, for example, where they have 16 starters returning, but most of them are guys we could not name. The guys that we can name are the guys they lost, right? You know, um, you go to last year, uh, you know, Stanford did not have a lot of guys returning, but they had most of their key playmakers returning. And now the reverse is true for Stanford this year. They have 16 starters back, over 50 lettermen back, but the guys that were their key player, playmakers, the Solomon Thomases, the Christian McCaffreys, those are the guys that are now gone. Okay, so we got to look at more than just returning starter numbers when we do when we take a look at preseason evaluations for college football teams nowadays. And and so Washington is stacked, and I love the I love the the intangible factor of everybody talking about USC. It's it's almost like. You can't remember who that fourth team in the playoff was last year. You know what I'm saying, John? It's like we forgot that Washington was in the playoff last year. We forgot that Jake Browning was the number one rated passer in college football until he had the shoulder injury at the end of the year when, you know, he was essentially a 50% passer. We, we, it, it's just like most of last season for Washington didn't even occur. Right. And, and, you know, when you have that breakthrough season and you bring a lot of those guys back as a coach, that is such a challenge – for those guys to keep that eye of the tiger, to stay hungry like they originally were. And so we've seen a lot of times when teams break through maybe a year before they're supposed to, and that's what Washington did last year, how many times have we seen that team being bring back 15, 16 starters, most of them, and most of them are names we know, and then they disappoint the next year, right? Well, this year, Washington 2010, Iowa. Well, there you go. This year, Washington gets to keep that chip on its shoulder because everybody's talking about USC. USC came into their crib and blitzkrieged them last year. So, you know, Lee Corso, I've I've quoted him on this a lot over the years. When when teams are evenly matched, the, the, the two factors that determine college football games more than any other are redemption and urgency. And redemption and urgency are on the side of Washington. People are acting like USC won the Pac-12 last year because they beat Washington and won the Rose Bowl. It's like Washington didn't even dominate this league. It's like Washington didn't even make the playoffs. And physically, by the way, if you go back and watch that playoff game with Alabama, they were there physically with them. They Br- Browning just could not make throws with that shoulder they needed him to make to actually put the, to put the points on the board that would put the pressure on Alabama in the fourth quarter. But physically, they were there. And so I love that intangible factor for Washington. And then not to mention, who's Stanford's quarterback? As we talked about before in the offseason, is Keller Chris going to be there with the knee injury coming off the, you know, that he had in the Sun Bowl? Is he going to be ready to go week one or even week two? I just think all of those factors set up very well for the Huskies to, to sort of be underrated if it's possible, given the season they had last year. I think this says a lot about what you think of Washington. You have five Huskies, first-team, all-Pac-12 offense, four first-team, all-Pac-12 defense, including two defensive linemen and two linebackers. That's a pretty stout team. 
Yes, it is, and I think it also goes to goes to show you the lack of overall yes. depth of that conference too. Yes. Okay. It does. In it fact, does I, I'm not. Sense. Listen, you give me the best twenty-two guys from just Washington and USC, and I'll dominate that conference. Dominate it with, you know, I'll take the field with the other twelve with the other ten teams. And I'll dominate that conference. Now, could you say that about the – I don't know. If we took the best 22 guys from – well, I'll say Penn State instead of Michigan because they actually won the league last year. If we took the best 22 guys from Penn State and Ohio State, 11 on each side, would that team dominate the rest of the Big Ten? I'm not so sure about that. I don't know that it would. It might win it. I don't know that it would dominate the league. You know? Right, so, right. Which says a lot more about the bottom part of the league as much as anything. Or – also says about uh, those two teams. Um, SEC, you've got Georgia and Florida both going 6-2, and two, but you have Florida winning the Eastern Division tiebreaker. Uh, and then not a whole else, not a, not much else in, in that division. You've got Tennessee at four and four in third place. In the West, you have Alabama. By the so, way, that's a, that's a typo. I have Georgia beating Florida head-to-head and winning that division. So if it, if it doesn't say that, I need to correct it. That's a typo. I've got, I've got Georgia winning the East. I I thought I said that yeah Georgia and Florida uh, had and you've got Georgia winning it so I may have misspoken okay um, yeah. with George yeah George going to the uh, championship game Alabama at seven and one and Auburn at six and two so you have it coming down to the Iron Bowl to decide it uh, and then you have Alabama over Georgia in the SEC championship game you know what I think is going to happen the last weekend of the season I have the same situation. In both the Big Ten, which we'll talk about more in depth in a moment, and the SEC, where you have the the uh, the champion of that division decided before they go on the road in a big rivalry game, and the conference championship game coming up the next week, and it's not like Ohio State's not going to be fi- sky high for Michigan or Alabama won't be sky high for Auburn, but there's also a bigger picture that they're playing for in those two situations that I don't think either the, t- the other side of that rivalry will be playing for. So I think Auburn is going to be Alabama's only loss, but I think they will have the West. I think they'll have the SEC West wrapped up before they go to the Iron Bowl and Auburn pulls up, pulls off the upset in that game. I like Georgia a lot. They just, you know, you want to talk about eerie similarities. It's so similar to Nick Saban started Alabama. He went seven and five his first year. That's exactly what Kirby Smart did. Brought a whole bunch of guys back. They were kind of a top 12, 13 team. That's sort of where Georgia is, most preseason magazines right now. And then they went 12 and 0 in the regular season before they lost to Tim Tebow in Florida in the SEC championship game. So it's a very similar situation for Kirby Smart. You know, the problem, the, the, the only caution I have with Georgia is literally every game that's the most important on their schedule, they don't play in Athens. You know, they don't play Notre Dame in Athens. Uh, Florida Georgia is at the, you know, the Gator Bowl every year. Georgia Tech's on the road, although in that rivalry, the road team has traditionally done better than the home team anyway. Um, and they have, uh, well, I should, I take it back. Yeah, no, and they're at Auburn, which is the oldest rivalry in the South. They're on the road there too. So, that's my only issue with Georgia is the schedule. I think they are easily the most talented team in that division. I just think the schedule is a little treacherous. Florida is the exact opposite. You know, Florida had another big injury. They already were going to have to rebuild their defense, and now their leading returning tackler 
they're all SEC safety. I think Marcus Harris is his name or something like that. He just blew out his Achilles at the end of seven-on-sevens last week and is done for the year. So that's a that's another big injury on Florida's defense for them. So I think I think personnel-wise, Georgia is clearly superior to the in that, in that division. But the schedule's tough for Florida. I think they have a much more favorable schedule. Um, just I don't think their personnel is as good. And then, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I just think Alabama is on its own level. I mean, they're, they're playing by a different set of rules, but I really like Auburn. The only reason I did not pick Auburn to win this division is they have, like, three home games until we get to November. And at the end, now they've got the most important games they need in November on, at home, Georgia and Alabama. But my concern was playing that many stretches away, that long of a stretch without, you know, a homestand, would they drop a game or two, like, on the road to Texas A&M? You know what I'm trying to say? Right. That's my concern, you know? Um, otherwise, I would have picked Auburn to win that division. That's how much I like their team and the way they're made up. And then you have the Mississippi schools. You know, if it wasn't for the ridiculous three-and-a-half win total on Maryland, my over-under, my, my over best bet on the entire board would be Mississippi State. You know, so... I think them at five and a half. I know only at Mississippi State at six and six, but it's actually because I had them losing the Egg Bowl at the end of the year. Um, I, I think Ole Miss, obviously, with what's happened to their program this week, would I, I'm I don't know I, I don't know how a team bounces back from that. I, I just don't. This late in the game, when you already were reeling because they were going to take the bowl game away from you as well, and you know you're sitting there and. I don't know if guys aren't talking to each other like, did Coach just lie to us all these years? Was he a fraud the whole time? Sure. Uh, and, and, and does that have some guys turn on each other because some guys feel like they got to defend Coach and others are some, angry and they want to throw him under the bus? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that some guys. a dysfunctional some, family, man. Some guys got paid more than the other and they're irritated about that. I mean, Well, there's that. that too. I mean, there's that. I mean, That's for real. No, of course it's for real. I mean, they went to a Sugar Bowl. They had not done that since Archie Manning was the quarterback at Ole Miss. You know, they had three consecutive top ten recruiting classes. Gee, I wonder how they got those. But the way that that story blew up were the former coach, Houston Nutt, who, by the way, lost his job at Arkansas back in the day because fans were pissed off at the way his teams were struggling. And there were rumors going around that he had a mistress, and there was a freedom of information action suing his cell phone records that had him calling a woman that was not his wife. That's how he lost his job at Arkansas. Goes to take over Ole Miss with Ed Orgeron's players, and Orgeron recruited very well, guys like Darren McFadden and others. And, uh, I'm sorry, he had McFadden in Arkansas. I'm talking Dexter McCluster, so I'm thinking of. Guys like Dexter McCluster and others. He goes to back-to-back Cotton Bowls, Houston Nutt does, and then the program falls apart. He ends up suing um, because Hugh, you know, Hugh Freeze is out there calling him and his assistants are calling the media to blame the whole, you know, to be the off-the-record source to blame the whole thing on Houston Nutt. So in order to get records of him on the on the record calling the media to defame him, they subpoena his phone records. And then his attorney, instead of going to Ole Miss privately, and saying, hey, we've been calling all these numbers, and some of them go to a escort service, to a prostitution ring. 
his attorney calls Pat Forty at Yahoo so it gets out into the media so they can freaking character assassinate him at the exact same time and blow up his family and everything else. I mean, that, you know, Oxford, Mississippi ain't a big place, bro. And to have that much drama happening right as the season's beginning, that just strikes me as a team at the first sign of adversity just shuts it down for the fall. Yeah. And says, you know, man, I, you go for yours, I got to go for mine. You know what I'm saying? Just shuts it down. Yeah, I don't disagree. You know, I, I'd, you may know this. Maybe you can figure it out. Um, and not that you need another job. But in seeing the number of Alabama players you have on your all-SEC first-team defense, you've got four. And if your first-team all-SEC defense and you're draft-eligible, i got to think you go no lower than the second round of the upcoming NFL draft. I'd be curious to look back through the years and just take the draft-eligible first-team All-SEC defensive players and see if any of them, unless they you know, were smoking the ganj the day before the draft or just had some you know, pretty bad character questions going into it, if any of them fell below the second round. And you've got four Alabama first-teamers. I mean, my gosh, that their defense has been and apparently will remain um, NFL starter kit elite. That's a great observation. When I have some free time next offseason, I might take a look at that as we get close to the 18 draft. The one name I can think of, I can think of one guy who was the SEC defensive player of the year and didn't get picked in the seventh round. Do you remember him? Uh, no, this is where you specialize and I just comment. Michael Sam. Oh, I for, you know what? That that, so you, that you persuasion popped into my head, in but I forgot that right. I forgot that he was in the SEC. Yeah, it's, you're still not really used to Missouri being in the SEC. See, Sam, Sam popped into my head, but I'm like, oh no, that's Big Twelve, and that's what yep. screwed me up. So, damn, I, I I had it. I could have contributed, but I didn't. All well, right. you've asked a couple of good questions this week, so that's good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've got no problems. This is uh, everybody who's listening to this, or most people who are listening to this, have listened to this podcast for a number of years. And many of those people probably listen to us on the radio back in our show days and me coming on your show for all these years. They know who carries the mail for projects like this. There's no question about it. Uh, <laughs> let's go now to the Big Ten, uh, Eastern Division. You have Ohio State going 8-1. and one. Uh, out distancing Penn State and Michigan at seven and two. Indiana five and four. Love you some Hoosiers this year. Maryland four and five. Michigan State three and six. And Rutgers zero oh and nine. Over in the West, you have Wisconsin at seven and two. Northwestern six and three. Minnesota five and four. Nebraska five and four. Iowa at four and five, six and six overall. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, Illinois one and eight, and then Purdue one and eight. You have Iowa finishing one, two, three, four, five in the division. Big Ten media this week um, with the Cleveland.com, the Cleveland Plain Dealer media poll picked Iowa to finish fourth, so it's not like you are out there on a limb. And you have Ohio State beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. My only concern is in that, that Cleveland Plain Dealer survey they do every year, yep. you know, that Ohio State won going away. They've done it I six think, years. It's the seventh. Yeah, they haven't gotten it right like five years in a row or something, right? Never. 0 for, oh, for 6. 
over six. Yeah, that's my that's my concern. <laughs> you know, when I saw that, because you know I like my trends, and you always say don't break a streak. Well, you know, don't mess with a streak. That's a streak, bro. But the thing here's the thing about Ohio State. They're just I, the offensive line was averaged by their standards last year, but it was also really young. And you got to think the way they recruit that those guys will just take a step forward in development this coming year. Their defensive line, um, the defensive line talent at Michigan and Ohio State is just at a different level than everybody else in the conference. In fact, I could make an argument, Michigan and Ohio State, you could make an argument. I don't think that's the way I have them ranked, but you could make an argument the starting defensive lines at Michigan and Ohio State are the best two in college football. You can make that argument. And I guess to show you how de- how much depth Michigan had last year, that you can say that about them when most of these guys were last year's backups. But they also played, I mean, Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich played as many snaps as the starters did. Um, the thing with Ohio State that is that is interesting to me is for all of the Urban Meyer spread power spread and you know uh, all the exotics in the 21st century offense this is actually a team built like a trestle team yes this is not uh, to me mike weber is good because he plays at ohio state he's not ezekiel you know what i'm saying he's the starting he's the starting tailback at ohio state so he's good it's not that he's good that's why he's the starting tailback at ohio state that's not a transformative player that's not ezekiel elliott back there um, that's just a, that's a guy that ohio state gets in every recruiting class um i don't there maybe this year one of these receivers will emerge but you know the last couple of years there hasn't really been a guy that you've just sat there and thought man i gotta double team this wide receiver every down they haven't really had that guy they're not really loaded with weapons, really. I mean, you have JT Barrett, who set like 30 school records or conference records, but they're not really loaded with weapons. But, dude, they are stout up front where it counts. So this is, this looks like an old trestle kind of team, even though it's going to line up in Urban Meyer's schemes and, you know, uh, off and, and, and plays. Um, Penn State, I'm, I'm fascinated by. I, I have gotten a ton of reaction from people on my Michigan podcast YouTube page that I'm overrating them. And I get that, and I think I probably am. The problem is, though, look at their schedule, and if they if they beat Michigan, which is a huge revenge game for them, it's a night game, it's a whiteout, every situation and tangible and circumstance goes against Michigan in that game. If they beat Michigan, tell me where where a third loss on on Penn State's schedule is because I don't see it. And so if you're 10-2 and two and your name is Penn State and you're the defending Big Ten champs, you're going to be in the top 10. It might be number 10, but you're going to be in the top 10. No doubt. I don't, think, I don't think they're that great defensively. I think they're okay. Offensively, I think this could be as explosive a unit as they've had you know, going back – yeah, I'm not, and by the way, they're not close to the team they had, like with Kerry Collins right. and John. Yeah, yeah, they're not. They're not close to that. But it's probably it could be the best offense they've had since then. They're really explosive. Uh, it's a soft schedule, but defensively, their 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 talent level defensively is not at the level of Michigan or Ohio State. But their schedule is more favorable than Michigan's. They have more 
uh, proven. I think they've got more uh, offensive playmakers than Michigan does. Um, and I pick Ohio State because that's a big revenge game for the Buckeyes, and they get that game in Columbus. Uh, Michigan, we talked a lot about them. We don't need to do that again. Other than the whole five returning starters line is overrated. Hey, well, one, one thing on start. One, one thing on Penn State. Um, And you can say this about a number of teams, but we're talking about a preseason top 10 team here. If if Trace McSorley goes down with an injury, they take a huge, huge step back. You're right. You're right. You know what's funny about that, too, is the guy behind Saquon Barkley, some people thought was the number one high school running back in the country two years ago. And so for all the love Saquon Barkley deservedly gets, he's the reigning offensive player of the year in the league. If he goes down, I don't think that's not I don't think that's nearly the loss for them that McSorley is. No, because not even, no. there's recru- there's recruiting depth behind him. You're right about the McSorley thing, and that is something to keep an eye on because they need him to be um uh, a running element in that offense. That's right. The way he plays just makes me think yes. he could miss some time. Yeah, that's a that's a good point that you and and I have gotten more react and not just from Michigan fans. Fan, I get a lot. I get a lot of reaction from people around the country that that watch or listen to our Michigan podcast. And by far, more than more than any team, I have fans around the country telling me they're not buying the Penn State hype. They think it was a flash in the pan. They pulled a fluky upset against Ohio State, yeah. and then they beat a bunch of scrubs. That Michigan State and Iowa really weren't that good at the end of the year when they beat them. They just sounded like good wins. Yeah, that's. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just getting more pushback on where I have Penn State as overrated than any other team hmm. in my poll. Interesting. Um, the the West I think is tougher for Wisconsin than we think. As I said last week, I think we underrated or overrated how tough their schedule was last year, it turned out. I think we're underrating how tough it is this year. As I said a few moments ago, don't let the 16 starters fool you that they have returning. You couldn't name most of them. You couldn't name a, ha- a handful of those guys. But all the names of the guy, Corey Clement, um, well, you could name – take Troy Fumagalli, the All-American tight end off the table. Name me three other Wisconsin starters. Could you do it? Alex Forney, Brooks, C- one. Sitchy. Uh, um, okay, Jack Sitchi. Okay, there's one. There's two. Another linebacker. The Beagle's he gone? Beagle's gone. Yep. Uh, what was the other guy that with Beagle? Watt gone. No. Okay. So they're both gone. Um, yeah, I, I'm struggling. You know, and, and when I look at your all Big Ten teams, there's only one Wisconsin offensive player, and that's Fumagalli, at tight mm-hmm. end. And there is only one Wisconsin defensive player, and that's Sitchi. And you have them yet going seven and two in the West, which speaks to a couple of things. One, it's a it's an Eastern stacked league this year, and two, the West is pretty average. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty much it in a nutshell. You know, I I think. Um, the talent level between the East and West, I think, is only going to get wider. I you think, mean, wait, 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 I, wait, 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 clarify. W-I-D-E-R, not W-H-I-T-E-R. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, where it's going to get wider is on the West. Yes. Just, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Double entendre. We nailed it. Yes. Yes. 
No, I think the talent gap is only going to get wider uh, because of what you have right now is the three most decorated programs in the conference that are all in one in the history of the conference that are all in one division or historically in college football because Penn State's only been in the league since '93, and they all seemingly have alpha coaches that are killing it right now on the recruiting trail and aren't going anywhere, at least for the, for the time being. You know, I'm not sure that we'll get a, a 10-year war out of Harbaugh and Meyer, for example. I think one or both of those guys won't last, you know, 10 years. But um, for now, those three schools are sucking a lot of the oxygen out of the room and turning essentially every other program in this conference into a developmental team. Um, for the other 11 schools. And since that's the case, then it's about, you know, as Greg McElroy likes to say on on College Sports Nation on Sirius XM, you know, if you're a developmental team, that means that it takes you a couple years to cycle up, you know, to to have those guys ready and developed to challenge. And I don't think talent-wise, Wisconsin's frankly that much different than Iowa. Um, I just think their schedule is a lot more favorable than Iowa's. You know, so uh, I wouldn't be shocked though if Northwestern won that division. Wouldn't be shocked. I've only got a one-game difference between the two. You know, so I, I think I think when you miss on a team the way a lot of us missed on Wisconsin, you know, we were just talking, I think Wisconsin, in my view, is the mirror image of Washington, John. Where we are, we have kind of forgotten how dominant Washington was until Browning's injury, and I think we are forgetting how shaky it was that Wisconsin was winning some of these games with smoke and mirrors um, early on and and how the top half of that schedule that we all thought was a gauntlet really didn't turn out to be all that and all that hard and really two games they lost Michigan and Ohio State were probably their two most impressive moments of the season when you look at their body of work and so I think because we missed on them last year and a lot of a, a lot of analysts did that there's this notion of, well, you know, I've, I'm watching people picking them to go to the playoffs. And and now I think there's the overreaction, like you see in a stock market or when, or in a commodities market, like what you do for a living. You know, I missed on the latest run or I missed on a trend. And then I I, th- I get in after the fact and I create a bubble because I've blown it out of proportion because right. I, I missed it when it was really hot. You know what I'm saying? And I kind of think that's Wisconsin. And I say that. I think they're the best developmental program in the country. I think they'll be really good. Um, you know, I think they'll win eight to ten games, which is always a good season for a developmental program. But I think the hype has kind of gotten a little um, obtuse because a lot of us buried them before last season at this time last year because of that schedule they were playing. Now, I have no, I've made this point several times the last few months. You've never really told me what you think of that observation. I think that, yeah, I, I the thing about Wisconsin, it, again, it, it comes down to there's just not a lot of star power there. But when you look back through, I don't know, the last couple of decades or even since Barry Alvarez really took over there, I'm not saying they haven't had stars. And they've had, you know, first-round draft pick offensive linemen. They've had multiple Big Ten, uh, you know, first-teamers, all, all Big Ten first-teamers at running back. Those have really been their bread and butter. So they, they've 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 made those players. These aren't Big 
big-time recruiting battles at Wisconsin. Wisconsin and Iowa recruit probably within five positions of one another on the national ranking averages year in and year out, and both of them are developmental programs. There is something about Wisconsin. It's like I said a couple of weeks ago. I'm not exactly – I'm not – necessarily all that um, unconvinced that Iowa can't go there and win that game. Because I just don't think Wisconsin shows to me now that they have the star power. But am I underestimating them too much? Like you mentioned, some people are doing Washington. Potentially, I just don't see them running and hiding just yet. And maybe I'm making too much of the fact that Jim Leonard's their new defensive coordinator. He's the third defensive coordinator they've had in, what, three years? Mm-hmm. Um, the last two did a really good job. The last guy maybe had a little carryover from the first guy, Dave Aranda. And I'm wondering, Jim Leonard, who's only been a an assistant coach at any level for one year of his life, and that was last year with Wisconsin as a position coach, is now a defensive coordinator. We'll see if it's a system there or not. I just think they take a step back. I agree they take a step back. I do think they have a very favorable schedule, so I sure. think that mitigates how much of a step back right. they take. But I, I would not be shocked at all if they're eight and four at the end of the year. Because nope. I think they're I think they're looking at a lot of twenty one to seventeen, yeah. twenty four, twenty one kind of games. That's Iowa. That's, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's that's north that's Northwestern when Pat Fitzgerald has quote cycled up, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what a lot of, of, of teams in the Big Ten are except for those three schools right now that are really separating themselves from everybody else in terms of recruiting. Now, Nebraska, with last year's class and this year's class, they are coming on where that is concerned. The question for them will be, can he, can Mike Riley, can he win enough games this year to hold that job? Because I was on a, um, I was on a radio show talking about this uh, or a, a podcast with somebody else talking about this this week, and the observation I made was, this is he's got the same problem that that Charlie Strong had last year with Tom Herman. When you have the guy who's who's the favorite son, and he's coaching somewhere else at a quote unquote mid major, and he's doing well, and he's going to be a hot commodity. If you're a Texas man, you can't just let your former Longhorn assistant go to next door neighboring state at LSU and let them walk out that door and worry for the next decade did we make that mistake, which is why, you know, I've always, I've, I've said the last few years, the best game Michigan ever won, the, be, the biggest win Michigan's had the last five years was when they lost at home to Maryland in Brady Hoax last year. When they lost that game at home to Maryland, that meant they couldn't get to a bowl game. That forced the school to get rid of them. Uh, otherwise, he'd probably still be the coach if he had gotten to a bowl game that year. Same thing with Texas. Best game they've won the last five years, that loss to Kansas at the end of last season. They don't lose that game. They get to 6-6. Six and six, You're not firing Charlie Strong. And then you watch Tom Herman go to LSU and hope that you didn't make a, ten, a, a decade you know, long mistake. Well, they did lose that game to Kansas, and that created a sense of urgency there at the school, and they knew they had to head LSU off at the pass. Well, you're looking at that exact same situation potentially with Scott Frost at Central Florida. His first year, they go from 0-12, under, the last year under O'Leary, to going to a bowl game last year. If, if he wins six to seven games at Central Florida this year, he's going to be a hot coaching prospect 
in the Power Five come December. And if Nebraska is sitting at six or seven wins, a lot of Husker fans are going to be like, why are we sitting here with this 65-year-old coach running a system that we're not used to, who, who uh, you know, isn't here for the long haul anyway, so that we can go watch a favorite son who's already been an offensive coordinator at Oregon where he played for national championships out there and a successful head coach. And now we're going to watch him go to Arizona or Arizona State or Michigan State maybe. Okay, We're going to watch him go to a program like that. So what? We miss our window with our favorite son and then we regret it for 10 years? See, I think that's going to be a big factor for Nebraska in the background. They Really, what they need is either Scott Frost to maybe get five wins this year or Mike Riley to get eight or more. Otherwise, I'm telling you, that fan base is going to look it down at, at Orlando, Florida, and they're going to ask, so we're going to let a guy now who's got Florida recruiting ties and and, and has you know or, Oregon cool on his resume and is a favorite son, we're going to let him go coach somewhere else for 10 years. Right. While we sit here with Mike Riley, I think there will be a lot of pressure on Nebraska to go and get him. Totally agree. One, one more thing I want to throw in about Wisconsin. Obviously, when Aranda was there and they made the move to the 3-4, I was skeptical of that move in that division and really in that conference based upon the style of play that you typically see and how I thought that they might struggle holding up against the run. Now, they've had elite-level defensive production really the last three years. I just wonder if this year that they may re- regress to the mean a little bit with that. You've got, you know, Iowa two years ago up in, up in Madison, they won 10-6. to six. It, The offensive statistics for Iowa were putrid, really. I mean, Beathard threw for less than 100 yards. Last year it wasn't all that much better. Iowa doesn't really look like a team that's going to be equipped to take you over the top this year anyway, um, although they'll likely be getting a, a grad transfer maybe that can help out at that position uh, receiver potentially. I think that Iowa's offensive line, how it's set up, Iowa's running back talent they have, and also their, you know, they can they can have three tight ends on the field at, at any point in time and flex them out. I wonder if Wisconsin is not going to be susceptible to the running attack that an Iowa can throw at it, and maybe even a Northwestern with Justin Jackson can throw at it this year. That's another great point. Don't forget Minnesota. Has a couple of has has one of the best running back tandems in the country. Indeed, back. indeed. I, I just and, I wonder. That's a that. great point that you just made right there. That's three in one podcast. Hey, <laughs> hey, dude, save it. Hang on, all right. Hang on, hang on. Get myself some tongue there. <laughs> Let me. You know what? And along the lines of what you just said, here's a barometer game for Nebraska on the road at BYU. Okay, because. The one thing you know about BYU is they're going to have a bunch of guys on that team that look like Merlin Olsen after he retired. Okay? Like you, when you, mean, yeah, you, you mean you mean, was, okay. you mean you mean Wisconsin. You said Nebraska, but you mean Wisconsin. I meant Wisconsin. Yes, I mean yes. Wisconsin. Yep. A lot, a lot of grown-ass men that are back from Mormon missions with full beards and families that may not be the most athletic guys, but are physically and fully developed as men and you know I got a, I got a, I, I got an up close look at this when I used to own Cyclo Nation when the year I think it was the year after they had the five blocks of styrofoam and AIDS. what white Mormons you did 
yes. When when Iowa State got four different uh, quarterbacks killed in in, in 03. Remember that, the two in ten year? Yeah. They had the five blocks of styrofoam and Lane Danielson at Iowa State's pro day. Shooting Easter eggs. What's that? Shooting Easter eggs and all that fun stuff. Yes. Lane Danielson, former walk-on receiver at Iowa State. Did, I was at Iowa State's Pro Day after that year. He did more reps on the 225 bench press than Casey Shelton, the starting left tackle, did. Okay? So that's a yo. All right, so that's how you get your quarterback killed. Okay? When your receivers are doing more on the bench than your left tackle. Well, what I think it was the next year, or right around there, Mac brought in these two twins that had just gotten back from Mormon missions. And I'm just telling you, the, the aging that you do... At, 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 when you're a college player at 22, 23, 24, it's just, a, I mean, the maturation process, that will be a big test for Wisconsin, a huge test. That is that is one of the sneaky, tough non-conference games that any major-ranked team is playing this year. That's a game to keep an eye on. If I had if I had bigger stones, I'd have gone for the upset there. But But that's a game that I think could be kind of a bellwether early on for the Badgers. Yep, we shall see. All right, uh, let's wrap this up with some um, bowl predictions from you. Scrolling down to the bottom of your... Here we go. Uh, Sugar Bowl, national semifinal, and the Rose Bowl is also a national semifinal. Um, Florida State, Alabama, Oklahoma State against Ohio State. You'd already referenced those when we did our top 25 uh, rundown for you. Um, Who do you have winning Florida State, Alabama, and Oklahoma State Ohio State. Well, I didn't predict who I thought would win those games, but I, I think um, you don't I, have to. I, if you're not ready to do that yet, you, I mean, you are in, such in general, a you're such well, a prima general, donna. I don't want to catch you off guard here. No, in general, I think beating a team twice in a season is tough. So I probably slightly favor Florida State because I think by the time they played them again. Uh, they probably have their offensive line issues figured out. Mm-hmm. And, and then I just think Ohio State, the level of physicality at the line of scrimmage, it's just I, I just don't see Oklahoma State being able to match that. I just don't. Okay. Um, Big Ten uh, interest here. Fiesta Bowl, you have Penn State against Washington. That would be an entertaining bowl game there. Yeah, essentially the Rose Bowl because of the playoff gets moved to, gets moved to Phoenix, essentially. Uh, a ho-hum Peach Bowl, South Florida against Michigan. Yikes. That'd be boring. Um, Citrus Bowl, Florida versus Wisconsin. Outback Bowl, Indiana, your Hoosiers against LSU. Um, Holiday Bowl, Stanford against Northwestern. Moving on down, Tax Slayer Bowl, Nebraska against Arkansas. Not a bad – I'd be interested in watching that bowl game. Um, Foster Farms Bowl, Iowa, UCLA. I mean, at some point in time, Iowa is going to go to the Foster Farms Bowl. You had them 6-6. Six and six. I also picked them 6-6 six and six weeks ago, so not a lot of disagreement there. That might do it by and large for the Big Ten, I believe. So, all right. We've done it. You've done it, by and large. We've reached the end of your preview. Easier or harder to write these as you get older? Easier. Um, and, you know, even the last couple of years, I've added um, new portions to it. You know, I added the coaching rankings um, two years ago. Uh, this year I added the um, 
four-year roster foundation. And if that, I'm, I'm going to wait. That's on. That factors on probation. I'm going to wait and see how that may or may not enhance the accuracy of my projections, yeah. my power ratings. And if it, if if I'm right that returning starters just doesn't mean what it used to mean, particularly for upper upper echelon schools, then that is something I will definitely keep in there. Um, going forward in the future, and if it turns out that that didn't play itself out as accurately as I'd hoped, then I'll just I'll ditch it and do less work next. Yeah, year. we'll delete the podcast, and it never happened. There you go. There you go. That's the beauty of it. Exactly. Or I'll just you know I'll I'll just be like the president. I'll I'll say something on the record one day, have it on tape, and then the next day show up and pretend like I never ever said it and vehemently deny that I did. In fact, fifty-five minutes and fifty-four seconds in, and couldn't resist. There was the first political reference. You know what the happened? Episode. I knew we were getting to the end, and I hadn't dropped the political blast. So it's in the last few minutes. I'm going to work one in. Just keep the streak alive. So yep. there you go. Yep, you did it. Well done. That'll do it for Miller and Dace uh, HN Podcast. Preview put to bed. Next week, I'll actually have to do some work this time and figure out what we're going to talk about. For Steve, I'm John. We'll see you then.